Hello and welcome. You are, of course, listening to the Investor Lab. I mean, why else would you be here? You know what you're listening to. You've clicked play and now you've got me, your friend Goose. And today, we're not talking about property. Well, we kind of actually do a little bit, but what we're actually talking about is shares, stocks, trading. Now, we've had an episode like this before in the past and a lot of people reached out and said, Tanner, that was so good to actually hear another perspective about investing. And really, the goal of this podcast is that we want to help people to achieve greater levels of freedom, choice, and abundance. And by doing, by understanding the different ways that you can do that, I think it's super, really, super valuable. And let's be real, in the current environment with you know share prices going up and down and all of this kind of stuff, I thought, wow, what a great opportunity to speak to someone who's been actively trading in the market. So an active trader uh, for the last 30 years. He's built his own algorithms. He has, he's got education programs. He's got uh, newsletters. He's got all kinds of really cool stuff specifically designed to help people find success and avoid failure but specifically geared around trading. So not like buy and hold stuff. So it's kind of the antithesis of Warren Buffett. You know, Warren Buffett's sitting there thinking, okay, is this the kind of company that I want to buy for the long term? The guest that I have today, his name is Jason McIntosh. And he is, he is all about understanding where things are going right now and making active decisions based on active situations in the market. So it's very fascinating. But the thing is, he's not just a share trader. He's also a property investor and he's also a businessman and all of this other kind of stuff. So we got to have a really interesting conversation around how these kind of things fit together. Um, we talked about risk profile. We, we, we talked quite a lot about his uh, personal journey. So if you like a story, um, you're going to be in for a treat. I got to say, Jason is the the first guest that I've had on the podcast that I think can talk more than I can, or maybe at least as much. Um, so he's, but he's got a lot of really great stuff to share, and he's a really fun conversationalist. So I know you're going to enjoy it from that perspective. Um, and not only that, we talked about you know the three distinct phases of the market, where things are right now. We talked about how to try and identify and avoid failure if you if you are interested in doing that kind of stuff. And we talked about the five golden rules of trading the markets. And not only that. There's actually an opportunity where you can access a free course about the five, five trade, the five, the five golden rules of trading the markets that Jason has put together, and there is a link in the show notes for that to check it out. But if you've enjoyed this, and if you enjoy, you know, the whole experience of uh, seeing me, hearing me, and doing all that kind of stuff, and want to support this podcast, then my big one big request for you would be to subscribe. So jump on Apple, subscribe, all of that kind of stuff. And then, of course, if you can share this with somebody else who's interested in this kind of stuff, that'd be amazing too. And I'd love your feedback. If you've found it to be beneficial to have these kind of episodes where we explore different ideas and we explore different ways of building wealth, uh, and if you think that that is going to help you transgress this amazing journey that we all get to experience called life, and it's going to give you greater levels of prosperity, then please let me know. Because you know we're here to serve and we want to make a super high value podcast that is going to be solving the problems in the lives of our listeners and that is you. And uh, just for listening, I just want to say thanks. I really super massively appreciate it. So without any further ado, we're going to get stuck into this episode with Jason McIntosh and we're going to discover all kinds of stuff about active trading in the stock market, what to look out for and how to, how to do that well. So without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab and we have got a very special guest joining us today. His name is Jason McIntosh. He runs a company called Motion Trader. He is a, a share and stock market specialist and in these really interesting and fascinating times, I thought what a unique and exciting opportunity to get Jason on the show so we can kind of talk about all of this stuff and bring more value to you, the listener. Jason, welcome to the Investor Lab. Hey, Goose, thank you for, for having me on. It's, um, yeah, look, it's a real, real treat. I've uh, been looking forward to coming on board. Yeah, man. We've been talking about this for a little while, so it's great to finally be um, jumping, on, jumping, on the, uh, jumping on the podcast and having a really good chat. Mate, I understand a little bit about, you know, you and your background and Motion Trader. I mean, I've done a little bit of homework, right? So I, I'm fairly familiar most people are going to have no idea who you are. Do you want to give us a little bit of insight into, into you? What is Motion Trader? What do you do? How did you get here? All that kind of stuff. Let's dig into a little bit of that. Yeah, look, I guess, um, I guess the, the short story is what I do is I, I help people make sense of the stock market. So, mm. And by that, I don't mean I'm just telling them what to, what to buy and, and what to sell. It's, about, it's really about explaining, oh, look, it's about explaining the complete process and, and giving them the 
the skills and the, the confidence to, to do it themselves. Because, you know, a lot of people want to be involved in the stock market and they like that do-it-yourself approach. But to do that, you know, you've got to have the right skills. And that's, that's what I try and try and help people with. Okay, and, so, you, uh, so, you're essentially, so you're essentially teaching people, you've got, a bit, you've got like a course that kind of teaches people how to do it and not make mistakes, right? Yeah, well, look, the, um, the, the main, main part of, the, of what I do is I do provide the, this is when you buy, this is what you buy, and yeah. this is when you sell. So I take people through the whole, the whole process from entry to exit. Mm. But what's really important is when you, like a lot of people go out and they subscribe to a, a share market newsletter sort of thing, and they just follow the tips. But unless you understand what you're actually doing, if, unless you understand what the, the approach and the, you know, the, the, uh, the underpinnings of that, those, those um, entry and exit signals are, it's really hard to follow over, over time. So you know, anyone can follow something when it's doing well, but as soon as you start losing money, it's like, oh, this doesn't work, I'm out. Totally. So I would say the so did you, I would say exactly the same thing with real estate as well because a lot of people get all these like oh you should do this and you should do that and you should do this and a lot of people get or get caught up in you know necess- not necessarily yeah. getting the right things they don't understand the strategy or the ins and outs and all of that kind of stuff so yeah no that's great that's awesome yeah, under- understanding the strategy is just so important because like as I'm saying anyone anyone can follow uh, a process when when it's working it's like this is the whole problem with so like you've probably heard the term a black box a black box system. Yeah, a black box system is where you put the you know the inputs you put the, put in the inputs and you get the answer back and you don't know how the calculation was made. It just says okay, um, you know, a black box stock market system will say okay the market's done this so buy that and that's it. You don't know why. Mm. So if that stock then goes up, oh great, it worked. I like this. But then as soon as you get a few that go down, you start going well. Hang on, what what this isn't very good. Um, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to stop. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to do something over time that you don't understand because you stop doing it during the, during the part of the cycle which may not suit the strategy. So yeah. understanding strategy is, is key. And, totally. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would say that one of, the most dangerous, uh, one of the most dangerous things for anyone you know, in life, in business, in investing and all of that kind of stuff is to succeed and have no idea why. Because I think a lot of people can have a win, as you say, when things are going well and they might be like, oh, I'm a genius. I, I've nailed this, or I just, I'm complete, and they ha- they don't understand why they've won. They don't understand why it's gone good, going well, and then they don't understand why it goes bad, and so they actually have no idea. Except the only thing that's changed is a sense of hubris and ambition. Yeah, and that that happens a lot. It's um, you know, with like my background is in in uh, financial markets, so I, I started at at, um, at a place called Bankers Trust back in 1991. Mm. Uh, Bankers Trust lives on now with the brand name BT. Yep. And at the at the time when I was there, it was a it was it was a, it was, it was the most profitable investment bank in the country. And um, you know that they'd say you know the the you know, the, the traders would say as I was coming as a as a junior guy, they'd say you know the sometimes the, the worst thing you can do is make money on your first trade mm. because it sets this expectation that it's easy, and then you increase risk because you think, oh, I know what I'm doing. I'll, I'm I'm going to you know double my risk, triple my risk. As soon as you do that, you just get wiped out because yeah, the hubris does come into it, and it's about sometimes you're better off having a few few knocks early on, so you really sit down and, and go, okay, well, what what is happening here? What what am I doing? Why am I getting in? And why have I lost money? And that's how you that's how you learn. You learn. I think um, like I'm a bit of a runner as as well, and yeah, you know, um, I did. Uh, look, I think it was national. I competed at national masters a, a few years ago in the fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred has been my race since I was a schoolboy. And I'd, you know, I'd trained train for like six months. So, you know, I'd set myself to, to win a medal, run a good time. And it, it just didn't come together on the day. I ended up coming, coming fourth, worst place to, to come in a race. You go home with nothing, but you're so close. And I was talking to, um, one of the, I was talking to a coach afterwards. And he said, you know, Jason, we get more, more experience at losing than winning. And mm. it's what you, what you learn when you lose that you know, sets you up for your, for your next success. So if you just luck upon success first up, it's, it's probably not sustainable because you're not getting those underpinnings that you get from the, from the knocks. By proxy then, would you, would you say that you know, it's impossible to actually really succeed without making mistakes? I don't, I don't 
I don't think so. Um, every successful person will talk about the the times that they've um, you know they'll talk about their hard times when they yeah. when they've failed. It's uh, like failing isn't a bad thing as as such. It's it's part of the the learning process, and I think it's that. Um, yeah, look, fear of failure stops people from from moving forward and, and doing things that they they should. And I look, I think you'd have to go a long way to find a successful person who's never who's never failed at at something. It doesn't have to be monumental failures, but there's you know every success is a series of setbacks, which are, you know strung together that ultimately lead to lead to success. It's you know it's part of the it's all part of the process. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I agree. I agree. I, 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 I want to ask you something, and, and I, I hope this doesn't come a, a little too – might. I don't want it to be too uh, exposing, but what is, what is your favorite failure today? Like you've, you've obviously – I want to talk about obviously all the properties, all the, sorry, all the shares and all of that kind of stuff and, and how people can succeed in it. But in your journey today, you've, tra- you've gone from BT, which was you know, the most profitable um, uh, investment bank in the country. You're now running your own company, Motion Trader. You know, I want to talk about how well, that all that journey. What has been the mo- the cornerstone, the cornerstone failure that allowed you to to traverse this this journey on, on your own? Look, it's um, yeah, very interesting question. Uh, I tell you about a setback. Setback and a failure. It's they they they're not exactly the same, but they do travel along the same sort of parallel. It's um, it's when I got made redundant. From Bankers Trust in 1999, mm. and so so Bankers Trust. Little bit of background: uh, most profitable investment bank in the, the country during the um, during the 80s and, and 90s. Uh, the, the head office was was, it was at American Bank, so head office in New York. And during the um, so during the the late 80s, we had the um, had the Asian financial crisis, and then there was a uh, an emerging debt crisis. Mm. And so what what happened over in the, the New York office was the uh, they they got themselves into trouble in the in the emerging debt crisis. Had a lot of took on a lot of risk. Market went went against them, and the, the bank's balance sheet came came weak. And it was a case of okay, we now need to find another bank to come and and, and take us over. And so that's what management did. They went out, they found Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank wanted the, wanted the New York operation. They bought Bankers Trust. Deutsche had a, a local operation. They didn't want Bankers Trust Australia. So you know, funds management went in one direction. The investment banking side, which was the trading room where I was, that went to Macquarie Bank. And you know, I didn't fit what Macquarie Bank were after and I got made redundant. And mm. I, thought, I thought it was absolute end of the world. So, you know, I'm young, like, in, in my, well, I was 29, so I'd been at BT all, all through my 20s. So my whole identity was just, just tied up and being a senior trader at a, at a leading investment bank. So I was just, I was just smashed. I just go, what am I going to do now? And I jumped on a plane, went up, to, went up to Hong Kong, went to Singapore. But, you know, it just happened to be one of those, those times in the markets where uh, banks were, were putting traders off, not putting them on. So mm. there just weren't positions on the go. And um, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought, you know, this is this is terrible. But it was, you know, the funny thing is, and this is this is often the case with with setbacks generally. It was actually a golden opportunity. Yep. It was the um, it was that that nudge I needed to go out on my own because I wouldn't have left. Wouldn't have left BT otherwise. I would have would have stayed there because I was in a good position. It was a high paying job with potential to increase your what you're paid based on how much money you make for the bank so i wasn't going anywhere i was mm. happy there um, comfortable comfortable right very comfortable and there was a plan to progress so it wasn't yeah. just you know okay i'm in my comfort zone i'll just sit here i had, did have a good plan there but it's worked out so much better when i look back and go you know, i think it was it was steve jobs he once said that you can um you can only join the dots in hindsight so, like, mm. I look at where I am now and I can join the dots back to Bankers Trust. But from back then, I could never have imagined where, where I would have come through being made redundant and supposedly thinking this is the end of the world. So, it just opened up. It's, that's the thing. You, when, you, when, you, when you're pushed into a, uh, in a difficult position, you, you often can become really creative. And, and that's what we ended up doing. So, I paired up with one of my, one of my old colleagues in BT mm-hmm. and... Uh, You'd remember um, Rene Rifkin. Yep, I um, remember Rene Rifkin. He had the yep. Rifkin report. That was, that was the big thing in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's yep. like, yep. He had something like, I can't remember it. He might have had like 100,000 subscribers or something at the peak. It was, it was huge. And 
yeah, my, my old colleague and myself thought, look, you know, we can, we can do this and I, I, we reckon we can do this a bit better because Ray would tell all these stories and everything and some people loved the story, some people hated the stories and, you know, he's a very unique sort of polarising character. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what we thought we'd do would be would combine financial analysis, which is what my, my old partner did, with the, the price analysis, which is what I did as a, as a trader, combine the two together and create a, a new service, which there was nothing else like that in the market. And awesome. so that, that's what came out of that adversity of redundancy. So I thought it was the end of the world, but it led to this, this um, period of creativity where we started a business from scratch, just two of us. And by the time I, I left in 2007, I think it was, we had like a team of 30 people and we had over, over 10,000 subscribers. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing to see where, you know, two blokes could go on their own and, um, yeah, and that given, all came... Given the right challenge, given the right challenge, given, given the right set of adversity, it's amazing to see what people can do, right? So Through, through necessity. You know, they say, you know, the necessities, um, you know, can create all sorts of great things and that's, that's what it did. Needed, I needed to make something happen because the, bank, the banks weren't giving jobs for what I did. So I took my skills and I repackaged them in a creative way yeah, and thought, well, okay, well, I can use those skills to help other people do what I do, um, who don't have that sort of um, you know, eight years of training within a within a leading investment bank to understand market action. Makes sense. And, yeah, and that that worked well. People 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 like that. Awesome. Well, I, I guess ask- uh, look, I guess guess I'm really actually even like you, you call me a bit of a bit of a teacher at heart, really. It's, um, um, you know, whether it be, you know, mentoring the, the junior traders on the trading desk or, or yep. you know, writing the report or um, I can remember at the, uh, my local high school, they've got this thing called, um, called Business Week. They do each, each year for the year 10s. It's, uh, it's an online business simulation where they compete against other student groups. And what they do is they ask the, um, you know, they ask the, the, the parents and, and the old boys to come up and act mm-hmm. as mentors. So I, I did this for five years and, yeah, I loved it. loved being up, you know, up, um, you know hanging out at the school, um, out sitting with the teachers up in the staff room at lunchtime, you know, yeah. chatting with the kids. I thought, this is great. Yeah. I had this brainwave. I thought, oh, look, I'll go off and get my, um, I'll go off and get a teaching degree. And then I can, then I can teach, um, you know, business studies, commerce, economics, and, and I can still you know, trade and invest in the markets at the same time. And like, how deluded was I? I'll tell you, teaching has to be the hardest job in the world to do well. And mm-hmm. I was up at midnight doing these lesson plans during, my, during my, um, the, the one-year post-grad course. You do, you do these prac, mm-hmm. prac periods where you go to the school for a month. And uh, up at midnight preparing these lessons going, what am I doing? You know, this is, you know, and I'm, I'm good at markets, but, you know, this is this is really hard, and they don't want to pay me anything either. No, totally. Yeah, t- yeah teaching, <laughs> teaching, teaching is uh, definitely a, a, a passion-driven career. That's for sure. I, I want to ask you something though. Why why shares? Like why like why why markets? What, why did you choose that asset? Like why did that appeal to you early on? Why did you decide that that was the direction you wanted to go? Ah, uh, it's um, like look, that, that's not the only thing I do. So I also do do property. And I've got the business on the on the go as well, so it's kind of like a three three pronged approach. That's I think it's a fantastic approach, by the way. Business business shares and property in a in a bit of a in a bit of a holy trinity, I would say. You know, look, I, I think so. Like there's there's a correlation between the three of them, but the idea mm. is that if if one's not not you know kicking goals, hopefully the other two other two are, and the time frames are different as well. So my share portfolio is uh, i describe that as active investing as the medium term approach um my uh, property is is longer term i don't do much with it it's um it's an income play with with you know some growth potential as well and then the businesses you know that's that's different again so you know that 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 three-pronged approach it's uh you know setting up income streams income absolutely right it's um it's it it's there's a lot of surety in feeling that you've you know, you've got money coming in from different areas and you're not reliant on, on one thing. You're not reliant on an employer or you're not reliant on, on you know, a tenant paying your rent. You've got, you know, you've got a few strings to your bow, you know, and I like, I like that. Uh, shares, though, look, that would have started in the, uh, in the, in the mid-'80s with, with my dad, so he was in, you know, interested in shares, so that got me interested in, in, in the shares as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I found myself at you know, Bankers Trust as a 21-year-old. 
and so my focus went from shares to the futures markets. Okay. That was, that was another, another game altogether. And so for pretty much that, that whole uh, like nine-year period I was at BT, my main focus was you know, trading futures and, and, and currencies. So and, and like the BT philosophy was, look, this is, this is where you sit and if you can make us money, you can you know, trade anything you want. But if you lose us money, well, you can kind of take your craft somewhere else. <laughs> and uh, you didn't get much of a, much of a runway to, to make them some money. But yeah. it was that, that sort of entrepreneurial sort of approach to the markets was, was great. So that kind of got me, I was just captivated by markets, you know, being in that, that um, dealing room with the, the caliber of trader that was there and sort of seeing all the activity or the movement, it was, it was fascinating. And yeah. uh, I had my, um, my, my graduate year was in, was in the charting department. And so it was funny, like I had, um, had a part-time job, had a part-time job at BT during my last year of uni. And yeah. you know, this, is the, this is a great tip to all, all young players, you know, get your foot in the door somewhere whilst you're at uni because it, it makes it a whole lot easier to get, get set after uni. And uh, so I'd done well during that nine months. I'd, you know, I guess I'd impressed the... Yeah, um, you know the, the guys in the room, and I went up to the, the head of the dealing room. And said, "Look, you know, could you really consider me for a graduate job next year?" And he said, "Yep, let, look, let me ask around." And he came back the next day and said, "Look, the head of the futures floor wants to talk to you, and the head of the charting department wants to wants to have a word." And uh, by luck, the the head of charting spoke to me first, and he said, "Yep, um, yep, I'll offer you a job." He had a chat and said, "I'll give you the job." And like my first thoughts were look, the futures floor sounds really exciting. You know, those guys down there, they're waving their arms around, they've got the colourful jackets on, charting, eh, sounds a bit dull. But, you know, this is, this is where luck, luck comes into, in, yep. into life. Futures floor would have been a disaster for me when I look back and sort of see how it all works. Charting was perfect because I got to learn all about how, how, how the market works through price action. You know, you taught me there you know, three phases. You've got an up phase, down phase, sideways phase. And he said, if you can identify, you can identify those phases, then you can make a lot of money in the market. And great, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to jump on that, right? Because I want to, I want to keep this, I want to keep this pretty tight into into like what's yeah. happening this year because it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting year that that that's happening in you know all around the world. What mm. phase? What phase are we currently in now, in your opinion? Yeah, really, it's a really, really hard question. That, and this is sort of like a, this is sort of like a prediction thing, and. Like, um, yeah, predictions, predictions, such an interesting area. Like everyone, everyone loves a prediction, but you know, the problem with prediction, most of them are wrong. Yeah, I know. But without trying to predict what's happening in the future, you know, like, do you see at the moment with the share markets, do you think that it's, uh, do you, do you think that the, the, the current increase in markets generally is a bubble overinflated? Is it, you know, is it, is it the price to price to value ratio? Is that, is that where it's or price to earnings ratio? Is that kind of where it needs to be? What's your perspective on where things are at right now in terms of that, that up, down or sideways motion without, you know, without kind of going, yeah. Oh, look, I think this is going to happen in the future, but where, like what's actually from your perspective, if we look at this on a macro level, where do you see the markets at the moment? Yeah, look, the, um, the, the, the phase we're in is currently, currently up. It's been up for the last, last few months. And a lot of people I speak to say, oh, look, we watch the news each night and the news is terrible and we're going to sit on the sidelines because we're, we're waiting for the next crash. We, mm. think, we think there's another crash coming. There's got to be because we're in the worst recession since the 1930s. There's going to be another crash. It's like I, I'll say to that, well, there could be, but you've got to respond to what the market is doing, not what it might do. So, yes, it might crash. It might go sideways. It might keep going up. At the moment, the market's going up. So the way to respond to that is to... to respond to what it's doing to to buy into the market and let that see where that trend takes you because we saw something similar at the end of the the gfc it's like during some market bottomed in early 09 and yep. then started to rise it rose 30 percent in 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 the space of a oh it might have been a couple of couple of months it was yep. a very fast rally like we've had now and then people would say oh but this is a bear market rally it's going to fall again and Tell you what, you can talk yourself out of the market for a very long time. And yeah. the problem is once you once you you make that you tell yourself 
that something's going to happen, then ego gets involved and you go, well, no, well, the market's gone and rallied 20% since I said I'm not getting in because I'm waiting for it to fall again. So I'm certainly not getting in now. And, and then what do you do? It goes up another 10%. Do you keep staying on the sidelines? You've got to, at some point, you've got to, got to respond. So rather than try to predict what the market's going to do next, I respond to what it's doing now. Now, I can get into the market now and the market, well, this market's coming back a bit at the moment. It's probably going to, looks like it's going to fall a bit over the next, over the short term. Um, when you say short term, do you mean like days, weeks? When I say short term, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe the next next few weeks, next month or so. That's, that's yeah. short term. For me, medium yep. term is like a year or two. Yep. Um, short term is, you know, a month or month yep. or so. No, that makes sense. So, yeah, I just wanted to clarify. That's all good. Yep. But yeah, it looks like there's a, you know, we've had a strong move. We've gone a bit sideways now. It looks like we're coming a bit lower, but I don't think that's the start of a, a crash at all. It's um, the overall dominant move so far has been, has been up, so I'm prepared to continue to give that the benefit of the doubt. Mm. And, and what we do as a, as, a, as a prudent investor is you have a, an exit point. You say, okay, well, I'm going to buy with the trend. I'm going to let that run. I, you know, I don't know what the fundamentals are going to be in a year's time, but the market's going up, so I'll go with the market. If the market stalls and starts to head lower, I'll have an exit point where I'll say, okay, um, something's changed. Uh, the market is telling me that my long position, my buying is no longer correct. So I'll, I'll step back and I'll sell and I'll let the dust settle and I'll reassess what the market's doing then. So how can some how can someone decipher? Because there's a lot of noise out there, right? There's just so, as I'm sure you'd agree, there's mm. so much media noise and opinion and you've got all these different, buy this stock and this and all of this kind of stuff. How can... How can anyone decipher like what is good from bad? Like if someone wanted to get into the markets, right? And when we, for those listening, when we're talking about the markets, we're talking, we're talking about shares, stocks, economy, um, commodities, that broad basket of you know uh, of of trading assets. How how can anyone sift through fact? Because I talked, to, I've spoken to a lot of people who have been investing over this period, and I would say that ninety five to ninety nine percent of them have literally no idea what they're doing. Literally none. They're just like, oh, well, I thought I'd just jump in because this one, I heard, it, I heard this one's going to go up. And so they've bought. Uh, or, or this one's gone down a lot. That must mean I should buy it because it must go back up. So how can people navigate this environment in a way that, you know, without just taking a perspective of like, well, you've got to get in at some point and give it a crack, which is kind of true. I, I, I get that. But how can people kind of, what should they be looking out for if they wanted to start sort of playing this game? Yeah, yeah, you, you're right on what you say. There's a there's a whole lot of shooting from the hip. People just come out and say, oh, "I'm going to buy this. I'm going to swing at that." And there's no what's their process? What's their strategy? That's you know, buying isn't a strategy. That's just an action. You got to have, and and this is what people need to do. They need to formulate a process. So it's a, it's a step by step action plan for what you do at each part of the trade. So you know, the first thing you need to decide is you know what what are you going to trade. Are you trading um, or, or invest in? I use the word trading and investing interchange, interchangeably. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, you're looking at mining stocks. Uh, you're looking at, at, at industrials. Uh, you're looking at uh, property funds. Is you look after a mix? Do you want big companies, small companies, medium-sized companies? Work out what it is that you you want to do. No right or wrong answer. It just depends what works for you. Mm. Then you've got to work out. Okay, what's my criteria for buying? So I'm not just going to buy because I saw on the news last night the you know, flight centre was up 10%, so I better get me some of them. It's like that's not a strategy. That's just you know, shooting from the hip. Mm. So watch your entry approach. All sorts of ways. There's no, there's no holy grail. All sorts of things will work. It's just about finding something that is robust that you can like test and sort of see, mm. well, look, this has a history of working, so I can do that. Then you need to decide, okay, what's my strategy for selling? And now there are two prongs to the selling side. You've got to be able to decide how you're going to exit a losing trade and how you're going to exit a profitable one. And this is, this is so important. And I think this is the area which, which completely confuses most people is that mm-hmm. there's lots of information about what to buy. We've watched the nightly news, read the paper. Everyone wants to tell you what to buy. Problem is a lot of people really struggle with when to sell. And, mm. and it's selling at a loss and selling at a profit. They're, they're, two, they're two different things and they involve different emotions and there's got to need, you need a different approach for, for both of them. But you've got to be able to do both and it's got to be 
got to be you know process driven and and this is the thing like you got you want repeatable success that's what investing is all about it's not mm-hmm. just about you know a bit of this and a bit of that because that's not repeatable there's no there's no strategies no process what a process does it's it's sort of like you know it becomes like you know a pilot's pre-flight check you know you do this you do this you do this and and that's how you you know you repeat a process over and over again it won't be successful every time because when you're dealing with individual stocks some you'll exit a loss some you'll exit a profit but you know how you get to both of those both of those points and mm. you can explain it to somebody like you ask somebody when are you going to sell those um you know xyz you just bought and it's like oh don't know i can't see what happens well that's not a strategy is it that's just so just what you're what you're saying buy. is like you know oh so when you when 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 would you sell those xyz stocks well if they came off by x amount then that would indicate to me that that might be a time you know mm. is that kind of what you mean very much yeah yeah so be, be something which you can you can quantify yeah and you can say you, you can you can give somebody a manual say this is this is the manual for the how to trade shares or trade this stock this is what you should do okay if, um you know if this happens do that if that happens do this it's all it's not seat of the pants stuff it's not emotional that's what a process does it takes the emotion out of it which is key it's just yeah. critical you've got to strip the emotion out otherwise you just you just you know, I, couldn't agree more. I couldn't i couldn't agree more you know like i often talk to people this at any given point in time there's about a quarter of a million properties for sale in australia and the reason that 98 percent of people who invest in property don't do well is because they're just going well it's one of them i'll, I'll have a crack and get and get something as opposed to kind of having a process to filter that down and and really get to okay well, where where are we at and why and how will I and how will I know if this is good or bad? So with the current in the current environment now, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not asking you to give financial advice or trading advice or anything like that, but I'm genuinely interested in your opinion. Um, in the current environment, with everything that's been going on, and understanding that you know there there are different market forces, you know there's international trade, financial markets, mining, resources, all of these kind of different factors playing in. What strategies do you see working best at the moment and potentially into you know the next quarter or into the next year? The the look the the strategies I use are they've been being used for, for for decades, if not centuries. They're, they're you know, you got the old saying there's nothing new under the sun, and that's very much how it is with with a lot of lot of you know solid investment process. It doesn't really change. Uh, so you know the, the 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 key number one my number one golden rule is to you know you you spread your risk you don't have it's not like a lot of people will a lot of people will will concentrate their their the capital into into a small small number of stocks and often it's because they think well look that's how the, the pros trade if you want to win big you got to go out and you got to got to bet big but that's you know, it's actually not right the pros actually spread their their risk quite quite widely and with relatively small bets in each each investment mm. and uh and the reason for doing that is that risk can wipe you out if you you bet big you, you're going to lose big and if you get a, a series of, of unsuccessful investments you, you can be very much wiped out um yeah the the next step is that um to you know to, to buy with you know, trade with the trend buy with the trend the market's going up you want to be a buyer not a not a seller but a lot of people approach the market as a, I guess, a bit like a, a bit like a Boxing Day shopper. So you know, you go to the shops on Boxing Day and you go, oh look, that handbag or that pair of shoes is down thirty percent. I'll, I'll I'll buy a couple of them, mm-hmm. and that makes a good sense. So then they take that same mindset to the stock market. It doesn't work so well. So you see, because you're trading against a trend in that case, you see your stock fall thirty percent and go, oh, that must be cheap now. So this is probably a good buying chance. So you know, I'll buy the dip. And sometimes that works out, but at other times it doesn't, and the stock keeps falling. So you're trading when you're trading against the trend. You, you know, it's, it's you know, the analogy is you're swimming against the tide. It's just that much harder. Like one of the things I do is back test. So um, back testing is where you get a whole lot of historical data, mm. and you, you you've got a computer, and you program your 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 investment rules into the into the computer, and then you put that data through. And that will tell you what would have happened had you been using those those rules over a period of time. Mm. But to make it worthwhile, you need like you know 20, 30 years worth of data. If you just yeah. test it last year, it 
yeah, it doesn't really it won't matter. How do you, how do you, how do you, <laughs> as someone who invests in property as well as shares, how do you handle the volatility, right? Because I understand you can make a lot of money in shares. I get it, right? We've all seen the, the, We've all seen the stories and we've all seen the trend lines all over the news and wow, you know, Amazon's rocketing up and all of this kind of stuff. And it seems very appealing. But then it's so volatile. Like as someone who invests in real estate yourself, how do you, how do you emotionally balance those kind of two different things? Because it seems like from what you're saying, in order to, in order to be successful in shares, you need to be really like with the trend. Is it going up? Is it going down? What's happening today? What's happening? You know, and making sure that you're not falling off a cliff or that you're all of this kind of stuff. So how do you balance, how do you balance the risk reward of shares versus property in that scenario? Uh, look, they're, they're, they're completely different creatures in that respect because mm. the, the shares are, are going to be a lot more volatile. So with, with, with stocks, it's, it's very much the, the many small bets approach. It's not about having those big concentrated positions. It's about, about spreading the risk. Uh, property is quite a bit different because you are, do tend to be quite concentrated just because of the nature of the, you know, the, the underlying value of the asset. For most mm. people, they might have one or two properties. And that's, you know, that's all, you know, it's all going on, on in that one area. But property tends, you know, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Goose, but property tends to move on, on mass. So you'd, you're not really going to have, you know, this house has gone up 20% and this one's gone down 10%. You know, they're kind of all going to move in the same direction. And fairly slowly too and fairly incrementally. You know, it's not likely because you're, you're correct, you know, like an area, the areas all move slightly. It's, it's amorphous. There is a differentiation, but it's not going to be like one house does this and the other one does that. And it's typically going to happen over a little period of time and it's typically not going to go up by 40, down by 60 and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So with the stocks, it's more or... It's, 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 it's more an individual thing. You're looking at each one on a, oh, look, you, you might just buy an, an index ETF, which is, you know, giving exposure to the whole market, in which case it's like you just, you can do a buy and hold strategy. You don't really need an exit strategy if you're putting all your, you know, putting your investment money into a, into a, I don't know, a Vanguard ASX 200 ETF. You know, fine, you know, put it there, put it there for 50 years and it'll compound and it'll probably do quite well. Not everyone wants to do that and not everyone should. A lot of people like the individual stock approach because they like the growth potential that you can get when you get the right stocks. But the thing is, it's not about going out and saying, oh, look, I think this is the next Amazon, so I'm going to put you know, 80% of my capital in, into that because you know, that's, that's fortune telling. Nobody knows that. So many different things could happen over the next 10 years. You don't mm. know. So you don't concentrate all your money in one stock. It's you spread it out and you spread your risk and you, you're having a lot of mul- you're having multiple bets effectively and you, you understand that you know, half the stocks you buy won't do very much at all. You know, probably half of them will probably cost you a bit of money and because the majority of stocks don't go up. Over time, the majority of stocks are you know, pretty, pretty hopeless. But uh, in, a, in a portfolio, if you can get um, you know, 10 to 20% of your portfolio into, into stocks which run a long way, mm. then you can make a lot of money. And because you've, you've, you've cast a wide net, you're more likely to be able to pull in some of those, some of those really, really good stocks. You're going to pull in a few, you know, few shoes and hubcaps in as well when you pull, you pull your net in, which, yep. <laughs> which don't do too much for you, but you're also going to get you know, the, the big ones in there too and then it's about managing risk it's about okay make sure you you cut your bad ones but you this and this is one of the most important things is to let your good ones run and that's something a lot of people don't do you see they'll get like um, a 10 percent or maybe a 20 percent profit and they'll go and they'll cash it in because they'll uh, a lot of the time people worry about giving giving a bit of money back so say look i'm up 20 percent. that's you know i've done that in two months that's pretty good i i want to put that in the bank but if you're always taking 20% profits, how do you get a 100% profit? You mm. can't because you're not letting your profit run. And that's why most people will underperform the market if they take on individual shares themselves is because they have a propensity to let their losing trades run yep. and they cut their winning trades short. So they, have it, so they kind of get too active. Like it's an active strategy, but they get a little too active and get a little trigger happy and get in and get out at sort of the wrong times. Uh, you get too active, it becomes a bit of a, a bit of a trip to the casino. 
Yeah. You know, oh, look, the wheel's spinning, got to get my bets down. It's, you can get – the stock market isn't a place for excitement. If you want excitement, there are plenty of other good things to do. Don't come to the stock market. Just, you're not coming here for excitement. You might be coming here for mental stimulation because you enjoy the game and you enjoy the analysis and putting together a, you know, a big multi-layered puzzle. You might do that, but don't come to the stock market if you're looking for excitement. And that, look, I started off looking for excitement when I was a teenager. I thought, yeah, geez, this is exciting. You buy something and you look at the paper the next day and it's gone up. I'm excited. And, but it, it's a terrible mindset to take to investment markets. And yeah, I learned that, fortunately, I learned that early on. I wouldn't have survived more than, you know. No, um, no, 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 no. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all about, you know, stocks, stock investing should be boring. It yeah. should be, it can be really interesting, it can be fascinating, but it's not, you, know, it's, you don't do it for a thrill. Yeah, no, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think it was, was it, might have even been uh, Jack, might have even been Jack Bogle from Vanguard who said, uh, the 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 emphasis on investing is is the opposite of you know don't just don't just stand there do something it's actually don't just do something stand there and that's uh you know and that's how you get more successful is actually just by you know going a little slower and taking a bit of time a question yes, yes. question question for yourself when you're selecting uh when you're selecting for for yourself what to invest in are you do you target growth or do you target target yield or um, and why yeah it's all growth. Um, so what, what I do, like I run the, the port, one of the, the main portfolio I run is it's based on um, the, the, the same service which I provide to subscribers. Yep. So it's sort of like, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk sort yep. of thing. It's, um, cause I've, I've seen so many you know, newsletter writers, you know, they write stuff, but they actually don't follow their own advice. And it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't, doesn't work. If you're going to talk about it, you kind of got to do it. So, and, and this is why I set up this particular uh, portfolio because I wanted to show people that, you know, that this is what I actually do. You're not, I'm not doing something just because I can make some, you know, a business out of it. I'm doing it because this is what I do. And as an, um, an add-on to what I do, I'm building a business. And so it's all, um, it's all algorithmic. So I'll, I'll run the, the data through my, uh, my, my system software mm-hmm. each afternoon and it will identify what stocks to buy for the next day. And so then I'll, so the, the, I'm just following the whole market. It's analyzing yep. the, the biggest stock to the smallest stock, but the area I'm focusing on um, with the signals which I follow myself, because I don't follow them all because there's too many, there's 2,000 yeah. stocks. Um, so I focus in on, on stocks which are typically outside the ASX 300. So they Small may caps. be, yeah, yeah. So they may be in the all ordinaries, but not in the ASX 300. Some of the best ones have actually come from outside your ordinaries. So, so when I what say that, that people, yeah, I was going to say, what does that mean for the average punter? All, all ordinaries is the top five hundred stocks, right? So, um, when I say a stock outside the all ordinaries, some people think, oh, that must be like you know a five million dollar speculative miner. It's actually not. There's some you know, like there's there's one company I've got at the moment. It's actually my, my best performing stock at the moment. It's um. It's, um, they make electric scooters. It's called Vimoto, um, VMT, I think is the code. And I'd, I'd never heard of it, never heard of it, but it came up in my, you know, my daily signals um, three months ago, four months ago, thereabouts, and sits outside the All Ordinaries. Its market cap at the time was, was around $80 million. So it's not the, the fish and chip shop next door. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a substantial operation with you know, yeah. a lot of employees. So it's classed as a, as a, as a, as a smaller micro cap, but you know, micro cap doesn't mean you know, the corner shop. It's, it's, it's still a big business. It's now, market cap now is 175 million. It's still outside the all ordinaries. So it's kind of doubled. It's doubled in value over the last, last four months. Nice. And, uh, make scooters, electric scooters. I had no idea it existed. But this is, this is a beauty of algorithms because you can cover so much ground. It's just fascinating. Some of the stocks which, which come up in the, um, you know, it's like you know, using that fishing net analogy off the back of the trawler and you throw it off and you're pulling up some, you know, some weird and wonderful things. And, and, you, and that's where the growth comes in because you're getting in these, these smaller companies which have a lot of growth potential and that's why I'm there. So I'm not going to double my money in, in Woolies next year. Woolies might be a great investment for next year, um, but, but it's I know, only likely to go like say twenty percent ish rather than you know two hundred percent, right? 
Something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I do the back testing, so I was talking about earlier, I back test things. So I don't just go, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. I actually test it. You know, what's the robustness of this approach? Does it actually work? And investing in small caps is has been historically more profitable than than, than large caps. That's tricky fascinating. You've got, it's really tricky you've got to find them. They're you know, there's so two thousand stocks. It's needle in the haystack sort of stuff. You've got to find them. And so I use the algorithm. The algorithm finds them. That makes. What, uh, once you once you pin them down with data, once you pin them down with data, like do you just make a decision on data? Like algorithms said yes, let's buy, or do you do you do you go and like do do you assess company financials? Like how 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 deep do you go in your due diligence over on a company like that? Uh, and, and this and this 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 horrifies some of the fundamental analysis I, uh, analysis. Um, I don't. I uh, hit the buy button. It's, Interesting. That's fascinating. I follow the price action. It's like there are different ways to do this. Some people focus purely on value. Some po- focus purely on price, which is where I am, and others combine the two, which is what I did with my previous business and with a lot, which a lot of my subscribers do. They, they write in, they tell me that they use, use my signals to identify opportunities, and then they go and do their, their, their fundamental um, filters over the top of it to like um, to, to zoom in on the ones that they actually want to invest in. That works too. There's no there's no right or wrong here. It's what works for the individual. For me, I've done I've got 30 years of backtesting that tells me that it doesn't matter what the stock does. It's like you don't need to know how a car works to get a great outcome from it. You know that you get in, you turn the key, and you can go somewhere. You don't need to know how the spark plugs are working with the combustion, and you don't need to know how the brakes are hooked up with the hydraulics. It doesn't matter. It's the same with the, the, a stock. You don't have to understand. You don't have to be a, you know, a, a business guru to know how their sales are interacting with their inventory and what their PE is to mm. to make a lot of money from a stock. Mm. I know nothing about electric scooters, but I'm up 100% in Vimoto doesn't matter what matters is you've got good process and risk management strategies around it so you're not mm. just going oh look i'm taking this and a bit of this and that's that's messy you need to know why you're getting in so i'm getting in because there's it's, it's a um the 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 buy triggers have been buy criteria have been met yep and i'm holding because it's staying in an uptrend or it's moving sideways within the bounds of how Far, I can allow it to move within you know sideways range, and then I'm getting out because either a it hasn't worked and it's come to my exit threshold, or b it's made a great return or it's made some return and now it's starting to turn lower and it's come to the point where I can't let it come any lower, so I've got to exit. So it's all so yeah. okay, yeah. So so yours is very much like yeah, so almost to a two degree. Your sort of your strategies, I guess the antithesis, I guess of say Warren Buffett, who very much looks at what's the free cash flow, what's the mm. you know because he's a value investor, so he's really digging in and going, you know, what's their what's their profits into to inventory ratios and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas you're just going, okay, look, you can get in and get out, you know, yeah. really short period of time, and just like looking at that that trend movement. It's yeah, it's interesting. I listened to I was listening to a podcast um, the other day, and they had a, a fundamental investor talking about how he approaches the mm. stock. And he said, "says the number one rule is you've got to understand what the company does." So I failed that first rule. I know nothing about what it does. Then he said that you've um, that you shouldn't. He said um, you shouldn't invest in anything unless you've done a lot of reading and done at least twenty hours of of research on it. It's like, well, yeah, that's. That's a really hard thing to say to your average investor because they're at a significant disadvantage if, if that's the approach they, they're going to take uh, because they're, up, they're competing against guys who have gone to university, have master's degrees in, in financial analysis, mm. and so the proposition that an everyday person is going to be able to analyse a balance sheet as well as, as somebody with, with four years of tertiary training it's, it's, and then you know, 20 years of experience, it's, you know, it's a pretty tall order and I think it makes... It can make investing quite um, inaccessible to to a lot of people. It really can scare them off. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that what I do is just oh look well, you just buy because it's gone up. It's not at all. Like I do what I do after well, I've been in the market for thirty years, and you know I do rigorous back testing to see that processes work. But I think um, yeah, being able to uh, learn about a price 
orientated approach to the market and then maybe supplementing it with a bit of fundamental understanding if you're, if you're that way inclined makes the whole process a lot more accessible. It's like, where do you start otherwise? Do you mm. just go, okay, well, send me 100 balance sheets and I'll start going through them? Or you read the paper that said, oh, that, that, this stock's doing something. Okay, I'll get the balance sheet and annual report and start going through it. It's, it's a long, hard process. But if you've got a, a, an approach which uh, looks at the market from a price perspective and you can, you can, you're kind of getting a, a, bit of a bit of a short list together, you're excluding the stocks which are going down and sideways and you're only looking at the ones that are going up. So if you can do that, then look, you, you've already got a head start because you've just ruled out, I don't know, 40, um, 75% of the market. Yep. And so at least if you're then going to take your fundamental approach, you're, you're more concentrated in, in, in your possibilities. And uh, yeah, and that's, that's how I find the, um, you know, these, these weird and wonderful growth stories from the, the depths of the all ordinaries and the ASX listings that yeah. no one's going to know about until they become, you know, the, you know, the next, next hot thing, by which case the shares are already up a thousand percent. You've already, you already missed that best buying opportunity. So um, I want to ask you now a little bit about your property investing strategy, because you mentioned at the start, I thought it was really interesting, you know, business shares, property, awesome, cool, got that. You said something about property and I want to kind of just lean into this and learn a little bit more about your views. Property as an income play. So tell me, what's your property investment strategy? What do you, what's the way, how do you approach that? Yeah, I've pretty much gone about it through um, income. Just saying, well, thinking, well, you know, I've got excess capital. I want to put it to work in, um, yeah, just diversifying from shares. I want everything in the share market, my business is shares, my portfolio is shares. Yeah. Just the diversification. And, uh, I tell you, I bought this. Um, it was back in, I think it was 2011 or 2012, and uh, found this property in this commercial property in in North Sydney in the CBD, and it was um, it was on a yield of 10 percent, and, and and so I bought it, got it on board, and at the time I thought, look, 10 percent, that's 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 great because most things were yielding around 8 percent. And but like, look at where yields have come since. And I had like I didn't buy it because I thought yields were going to going to you know halve from where they were. But that's kind of what they've done. And so it's been a terrific investment. And I think the 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 rent alone has has repaid the capital to buy the place. And the value has gone up as well because of the you know the yields have come down and it's a development um, potential site too. And uh, so it's just been a you know, terrific investment. But that's, it's very much passive what I, what I do there. I manage the property myself, so it's just sending out the invoices and you know, paying the yep. starter and all that. Um, but it's, yeah, other than looking for a new tenant every, every five years or so, it's, um, it's been very much passive. I don't, I'm not, not looking to, 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 to flip it and move into something. No, you don't want to be a trader in property. I think there's a lot more. There's a lot, I understand the, the, the value of trading in the markets, you know, as in like looking at the signals and okay, okay knowing how to move because largely, largely because of the volatility, you know, the, the stock market is volatile. Therefore, your activity needs to match the level of activity of the marketplace. Whereas I, 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 my personal belief is if you try and apply that methodology and that thinking, that, that level of activity to the property market, you're going to end up failing because you're going to end up like losing a lot of money in, in yeah. costs and risks and, and, it, and it's just not the same. It's just not the same game. So no, that's fascinating. That's really the people interesting. Who do, the people who do best in property from, from my experience are the ones who hold things for decades. Yep. And they look back and something which they bought for you know, $100,000 is now $5 million. Yeah. And, um, you know, cause they've held it for you know, 40 years or, or something like that. Um, yeah. Property is a long-term hold is just, yeah, it's a fabulous investment and you get the tax benefit uh, from, you know, the long-term hold as well. And, you know, one, one of the great things about property is that you don't see the, the price move each day. And this is a problem, I think, for a lot of people with the, the stock market is that it's always on the move. It's sort of reported on the news each day. It just freaks people out. You know, they, they see, you know, they're up, you know, they're up you know, 20% in the stock and then it you know, you know, gives half of that gain back. It's, 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 it's moving around a lot. And that's just the nature of the beast. There's nothing wrong with that. You just got to have your, um, your, your, the right mindset to what's happening. and and Positioning yourself accordingly to you know not not having too big a positions. Yeah. Whereas with with it, with um, property is great because you you don't see it moving around. You can take a lot more leverage as well. And this is this is like if you're um 
for someone in their say their say their twenties, I think property is just fantastic. Like say you got you've saved fifty grand, in you go out and you borrow you know five hundred, then you're controlling an asset. You've got an asset worth five hundred. Oh, tremendous. Yeah, yeah. Now you can't do that in stocks. One, no one's going to lend you half a million dollars to play the stock market with $50,000 of capital. And if you did, you'd get margin called and you'd be wiped out within the week because yeah. you just have so much leverage on. So you can't do a leverage play like that in stocks. In fact, I, I, just, I don't use leverage at all in stocks. I just, uh, I just trade um, you know, just, just the raw, raw capital because mm. leverage brings so many people unstuck, particularly in the, they do, I know it brings them unstuck in property as well at times. But particularly in the stock market, it's like people just tend to, they see leverage as a shortcut to, to you know, growth of wealth. And yeah. in fact, it's a shortcut to, to bankruptcy. And yeah. they overreach. They just try to go, go too far. They say, well, like, you know, okay, yeah, I can buy $10,000 worth of shares, but now if I juice it up with a, with a CFD, I've actually got $40,000 worth of stock. And then stock comes back five percent, and it's all you know, it's all over. It's a disaster. Yeah, so, that, vol- that vol- vol- debt and volatility don't go very well together. But you know, that's that's is one of the main benefits of, of property. I mean, look, our 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 clients have got an average of like sixty, nearly sixty two percent return on investment in, in about eight months, but that's largely due due to due to using leverage and getting those kind of gains, the markets will move a little slower, but you get that kind of intermediary gains between your actual, yeah. your actual cash in and your, your actual movement of the, to- the total value. So Yeah. So it doesn't play out as well on equity. So that, that's, I think that's a tremendous plus for, for uh, property players using that, using that leverage. And look, it's a, I, didn't, I didn't really work that out in my, when I was in my 20s when, when it would have been really beneficial. Yeah, and I think look, part of it was due to the nature of my job. It was I saw it as being um, um, a trader at an investment bank. I saw it as being a bit of an unstable job. It was uncertainty. Like yep. you didn't know whether you'd. They'd say you're as good as your last last trade. So I'd never be sure that I'd have a job in a year or two's time. Whereas if you're an accountant or a lawyer or you know you've got a profession, you're probably going to have a job. It's you know there's more of them. There's a um, you know, bigger pool of employment. Investment banking, a little bit, a little bit smaller, a lot smaller. So mm. that made me hesitant to go out and you know borrow half a million dollars, um, and uh, and also I think I think we're also a product of our of our environments to an extent. So I grew up in the the seventies and eighties, and dad was um, dad was a publican. So his business was you know buying buying pubs and, and running them and then you know, selling them on, and but they're they're capital intensive industries, and. Um, and uh, so, you know, dad would often have these, you know, big borrowings to buy these, buy these pubs. And uh, early 80s was we had a, we, there was a recession and there were also like sky high interest rates. Uh, I think rates got up to 16 or 17%, you know, somewhere like that. Mm. And so, you know, so many businesses were just, just crushed by having, by having leverage, by having debt. And I guess that's always made me a little bit conservative when it comes to, to using debt, particularly when coupled with the, uh, with a with a, um, a a job in my twenties, which I thought was a little bit on the uncertain side, so I steered away from it, which is a shame because I think you know the you know like a twenty something looking at interest rates now would say, well, interest rates only four because they've had a they've mm. been they've lived through a different environment, they've seen yep. a different part of a you know like multi decade cycles, so they'd probably have a completely different perspective on taking on debt to buy buy real estate. Yep. So it's um, yeah, look, I think it's a great play for. For, for for someone who's looking to to grow their wealth to borrow get into the property 100 but then it doesn't mean you don't do shares as well like no. a lot of people i see doing shares have their self-managed super funds so they're already set up with their with their with their homes and they like the flexibility of, of shares because i guess you you can you can enter and exit the market reasonably quickly and you can also sell down your share portfolio if you want less exposure or you want to realize cash which is probably a little bit harder in, in property so yeah, it's that's less liquid it's less liquid less volatile you know yeah. and I, that's why i think there's a there's a good like like as you said with business as well i think there's a good balance there to be had you know if you, rather than going all one way or another i mean i'm very pro property that's that's kind of the main the main asset class for us but i i also think that you know that you need just like having a healthy diet, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have a mix of different things in there that all do different stuff to your body and your emotions, yeah. and also give you different results and returns. So, 
I'm, I'm just mindful of time. So I want to give you an opportunity though, if people want to reach out, you've mentioned you've got the newsletter and all of that kind of stuff, you know, how can people, how can people benefit from this, you know, 30 years of, of knowledge of the markets and all of that kind of stuff? What can people do to, to access some of this, to be able to learn from you, to be able to get, you know, get, get the tips that you're putting out there or to be able to see your portfolio kind of stuff. How can people find out a little bit more? Uh, look, I've, I've set up a um, set up a page where where people can where your your listeners can come to yep. uh, motiontrader.com.au forward slash the investor lab, and so that's a that's yes come to the page and what what I've got I've got a, a four part training series you know it's a free free series which I which I offer to people which sort of they go through the um the, the you know the five golden rules to to investing successfully. That being um, to, you know, to spread your risk, trade with the trend, run your winners, cut your losses, and also give your, your winning investments room to move. Um, and so I go through that in, in a lot more, lot more detail explaining how it all, how it all works. Because the idea is that if I can teach someone the process, they don't need to come and use a service like mine. They can do it themselves. First thing is you've got to understand a process. My process is one of many, but... If um, if that the underlying philosophy makes sense to you, well then it's it's a it's a, a type of approach which could be could be worthwhile worthwhile exploring. Well, and it's de- definitely worth definitely worthwhile having a look, right? It's a free course, and if people have got an interest in it, they're going to do a lot better by going there and checking out the course and at least learning that and deciding whether that's right for them or not, rather than just taking a punt because some guy down the pub said, "Oh, I heard this stock's going to go up," mm-hmm. you know. So I think that's a great opportunity. Thanks so much for setting that up. Yeah, and I was watching the watching. Um, there was a segment on the news a couple of months ago, and they profiled a. It was a 21 year old uni student and um, an NRL player who they said, look, in, in lockdown, people looking for things to do. These two people have found the stock market, and the 21 year old uni student, she's up 20 percent in 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 the last month, and the NRL player, he's made back his lost salary through you know the um through through trading shares. I'm just looking at this saying really and truly, this is just terrible sort of news reporting to have this sort of stuff on because it gives people the impression that it's, that it's so easy. You just go, yeah, look, I can go out and do a bit of that. I need a bit of money yeah. this weekend. I go buy some shares. But, you know, investing is it's, investing's a career. People spend decades learning it and honing it, becoming really good at it. And the notion that someone can just, you know, open up an online account and start buying and selling is ludicrous. Now, now, sure, these people may have, may have made the money. There's no problem with that. But if I go and stand outside the casino in, and, and, um, and I interview people for half an hour, I'm going to find first-timers who have made money playing roulette. But doesn't mean that they've found a strategy to play roulette. It just means that you know, the, it's come up their way for, for a few rounds. So the, the stock market is a, you know, it's a fantastic place with lots of opportunity. But you need to have a process to approach it. Otherwise, it's like um, you're giving money to people who do a process. Yep. Uh, and you, know, you don't want to be doing that. Like you don't want to be doing anything. Anything you do, you've got to understand. Exactly. And, or or you're, at least you've got to leverage the experience and skills of other people who do, I think. So, yeah. you know. Well, that's, that's, the, um, that's a short, that's what it's my, my old boss back in 1992 said, Jason, if you want to get faster, quicker, learn it, read about the experiences of others. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had the, um, the traders in the room who was able to learn from, but then I was also able to learn from other people through books and learn about their experiences. And uh, there was this great book I read. It was called, um, it's called Market Wizards. And it's, uh, it, it, was, it was written back in like 1990 or thereabouts. And uh, yep. but it's, it's, it's still as relevant now as it was then. So it was uh, an interview with, might've been 20 or so top traders. Yep. And there were two guys in particular who are really, um, really, uh, um, really resonated with me, and they're the chapters I read and I reread, and it's their approaches which I ingrained and, and started to make my own. And so, for me to get to that point without reading that, it would have taken me you know, years of trial and error. But I was mm. able to fast forward that learning process through learning through people who have already been there. And I think that if you look at, look at the success of pretty much anyone. It's they, they get there um, at least in some part by standing on the shoulders of those who have come before. Yeah, so absolutely. You, I couldn't agree you more. Shortcut, you can shortcut that, that learning. You are, yeah, it's just more, more years of being able to 
hopefully be successful and, and compound growth and, 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 and do better, you know, wasting yeah. 10 years of trial and error. It's not the, uh, not the best way to do it. No, totally. And guys, if you're listening to this and you want to stand on the shoulders of Jason uh, for a little bit, then you just head to motiontrader.com.au forward slash the investor lab and check it out. Check out the the five golden rules of trading, five golden rules of trading the markets, is it right? Yep. That, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Jason, I've really appreciated the conversation. I've got to say, you know, you've, you're not short of a couple of words, which is good because a lot of people, I, I, t- I tend to like, I'm like a million miles an hour and I think you're the only person that I've had on the show so far that can talk as much as I can. So thanks so much. It's been really insightful to to get a little bit of a uh, bit of the journey, but also some real kind of pointed advice on actually what's going on right now and, and the differences between trading and stuff. So, mate, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yes, you know, as, as I say, you know, it's prepare, 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 whether you're going on a podcast or trading the stocks. You got to uh, <laughs> got to be prepared. Hey, Chris, so, thanks very much for having me. It's been 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 a heap of fun. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers.